0: Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights podcast, where we teach you how to invest with benefits. My name's Christian Allen, here with my co-host Rod the Pod Zabrisky. Rod, what's up, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. That's it. You're not even going to ask me how I'm doing. <laughs> that was the next question to come. I. I thought that we had moved past this, Rod. I thought that we had decided like, hey, this is a two-way street. Yeah, it's
1: true. And then I just didn't want to get too much into a groove. So I thought silence would
0: (laughs) captivate the audience. They're like, what's coming next? Yeah. Hey, well, thank you. Dramatic Uh, silence. In case anybody's wondering, I'm doing great. Uh, So thank you for asking. Today, Rod, um, as always, I'm excited to talk about a relevant topic. Here's what we titled it. Diversification Danger Zone. Let me try that again. Diversification Danger Zone: Avoiding the Top 10 Pitfalls. So, okay, so here's what happened, Rod. As I was going through and I'm I'm brainstorming ideas for for the pod, right? Trying to come up with relevant, actionable, interesting things that people can actually get value from. Yeah. Um and I started uh, I usually start with a broader kind of listing of different ideas. And then I just kind of like whittle them down based on what's speaking to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, so this time when I got into the, the diversification one, I built out a diversification um, outline, but it was just kind of boring. It was just kind of boring. The good news is, is that there was one section in it that was standing out to me. It was speaking to me. And that's what we're going to be talking about, Rod. We're going to talk about the pitfalls because that's just a little bit more fun way to have this conversation. And the good news is I think we'll cover like basically everything that's super relevant as it relates to diversification and investments. So anyway, just a little bit of a different way to go about it. But for that reason, Rod, I am excited to rock and roll today.
1: And I just have to point out for everybody that Christian being a Top Gun fan, the diversification danger zone just felt like,
0: yeah, it spoke perfect. to me as well. Yep, yep. You're right. Um, because and, and we were trying to come up with like the highway away from the danger zone, uh-huh. like, <laughs> but the, it, it just wasn't working. So we're sticking. With, but you're right, Rod, for years, that was my favorite movie growing up. Um, I think I wanted to be Maverick. And yep. so I, well, I didn't and... end up being a fighter pilot um, and shooting down MiGs, but um, we're going to shoot down bad investment diversification and stuff. I love
1: it. I love it. And I <laughs> inadvertently became Goose because if you were Maverick and you were talking to me That's and true. you were saying sp- things like, speak to me, Goose, then...
0: Talk to me, Goose. But you were close, right? <laughs> I always do that. I love it. <laughs> okay. So let's dive into the danger zone. Sweet. Um, Okay, but Goose dies in the movie, so let's avoid that, right? Yeah, can that's we just another avoid pitfall that?
1: that I'll avoid. So I and <laughs> and I am very much on the highway away from the danger zone. Just to be clear.
0: Okay, good. So, and can I just tell you when I when I watch that movie, I skip over that every time. I can't watch. I can't watch it. I'm like, no, no, I can't watch Goose die. It's too painful. Well, and and it's the family that that's the part. Like like seeing his wife afterwards. Yeah, is like it's, the it's, it's, devastating Most man yeah it's devastating um i feel the same way when apollo creed dies and rocky those are just hard moments i don't i don't even mess with watching them yeah, okay yeah. rod let's get into it um here's the thing there's a lot of conversation that exists around diversification and in investments it's almost like one of the buzzwords that you just say when you're talking about in anything investment related right, right. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you were talking about the alternative side or, or the traditional side. There is very much a narrative around the importance of diversification. But there are a lot of ways to do it properly. And there's a lot of pitfalls that can potentially be in the way. So what we're going to do is we're just going to knock out the top 10 pitfalls. And we'll see where that takes us. Before we do that, Rod, is there anything... That you want to say generally about diversification before we get into it. Just I'm glad you said that about that it it is a
1: conversation is appropriate on both the traditional and the alternative side. Because I mean, let's face it, in the traditional side, it, it is pretty much like the word diversification may not actually carry much meaning anymore because it's just said so much that that people don't even think about what it means. <laughs> a well-diversified yeah. portfolio is what everybody wants and what brokers will tell you they're building for you. And and I'm not saying they're not, I'm just saying it, it's such a common word that's used that I, I think what this conversation helps do is maybe bring it home, like bring it take it from a little bit of a different angle so that people can really understand what it means and and then apply it on both sides.
0: Yeah, I think it matters what you believe diversification actually is, right? The way you yep. define it, the way you think about it, because in a lot of ways in the traditional space, I would say it's actually better at diversifying, meaning, and again, using the word loosely, just saying I'm getting across like multiple different types of investments Um, it could be, it could be that they're all stocks, but they're different types of stocks. Right. Mm -hmm. But at least there's like, now one of the things that I commonly see in the alternative space is an over concentration in a single asset. And that happens for a couple of reasons. One of them is because like the, the cost to get into investments is higher. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes like, there are situations where. Um, if you're, you know, if you let's say that you're an accredited investor and you have, there's an investment that you really like, it could have a minimum of a $500,000, you know, buy in in order to get there. And if that's the case, like maybe you don't just by nature of it being that large of a chunk, it's not going to be as diversified. Now, that's not necessarily good or bad. I'm just saying, from my experience, Maybe there's some other reasons too. Maybe it's just the real estate boom that's been that we've seen. Uh, obviously, we saw pre two thousand eight, and then we saw the crash, and then it just things have gone crazy since then. But for for whatever reason, it's kind of more baked into tr- the traditional space, and that's I think part of why people would commonly say that oh, it, it, the traditional side is just safer, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's easier to get diversified and things like yeah. that. Anyway. But the point is, is as we go through these, these different pitfalls, I think we'll hit on probably most of the angles that are most relevant in this conversation. I love it. Okay. Rod, number one, over concentration in a single asset, kick us off.
1: Well, I think this is is an appropriate starting point because this is, I mean, if you were going to define diversification, this is the opposite (laughs) of that, Right. If you're in a single asset, then you are not, by definition, you are not diversified. Now, I want to put a little bit of caveat on this because you do have to pick a starting point and kind of to the point that you were making a minute ago, if, you're, if your starting point on the traditional side is I'm going to buy a mutual fund, then you immediately are diversified because they're putting you across different stocks yeah. inside of the mutual fund, stocks, bonds, et cetera. And when you move over to the alternative space and you say, well, I need to pick a starting point. I like real estate, or I like this, or I like that. The very first investment that you get into is a single asset. <laughs> and so by definition, you are not yet diversified. So taking that as a, uh, just a given, like you have to pick a starting point somewhere, uh, Then, but it's it's a, creating a plan. And I'll, I'll give another really obvious example on this one that we see a lot. And that is people who own their own business that's really where they're building their wealth that's how they're going to retire that's how they're uh, like they're going to the promised land so to speak um, they it I mean it's a single asset right if I'm if if I'm in a business owner and that is the only focus that I have it's the only place I have any interest in building my wealth there's an inherent danger to that it's a pitfall right and again, I can't, I can't get there if I don't pick the asset, pick the business, start building it. Um, so what I'm saying is, if if that's you, you're, you're a business owner and you've seen a, a fair amount of success, then you need to make sure that you are beginning to diversify and invest in other things. Continue building your business. Continue to do that, but the you, you need to diversify.
0: Yeah, I think the bottom line is, is there's a reason why the whole pay yourself first thing is a thing. It's yeah. especially relevant as a business owner because it's so easy to push money, push capital back into your business for a couple of reasons. One, for for a lot of us, the business is, like, is far and away the biggest asset, mm-hmm. and it's been the biggest wealth creator. So like mm-hmm. when you think about, again, diversification, we're going to get into this. But it can become difficult to not want to put money in a place that we've seen stronger turns, right? Therefore, our business, we see this with real estate investors all all the time. We saw this in the financial crisis. So many people got like had done so well. And maybe it was just like turning over single family homes even, right? Mm -hmm. But turning the like churning those things out and then suddenly, you know, they're Stuck in a cycle and and things go down, things go Mm -hmm. crazy, you know, and suddenly they're stuck with over-leverage, not enough capital to to ride it out, and and now that over concentration in one asset has literally blown up their financial. So like so like the importance of diversification, at least in some form, probably can't be overstated because the repercussion for not being that can be really devastating.
1: Absolutely. Right? Yep. Okay.
0: Number two, Rod. And this is, this is one that I say, like it's the, it's the remedy for all financial stress or problems. Yeah. And it is pitfall. Number two is ignoring liquidity needs. Uh, and the reason I say that is because when you have cash, when you have liquidity, it always just feels okay. Right. Yeah. I can weather the storms, I can move different directions. Um, usually I can make better long-term decisions because I'm not feeling as much tightness and pressure. Mm-hmm. So from my perspective, I just always tell people make sure you have plenty of liquid capital. Cause again, you can't go wrong if you're, if you're built in that situation, I, like, I totally or at least agree. it can't go too far off the rails. Yeah, right? you have
1: you have a way to bail yourself out, right? And this, I think, puts us in a place where where we can maybe define, look, uh, diversification a little bit more, and that is diversifying your risk. Or in other words, uh, because someone could say, "Oh, well, I have, um, I've, I have diversification because I'm in a bunch of different assets." but if the risk profile looks the same on all of those assets then you're not truly diversified when something goes wrong so you gave the the 2008 financial crisis as an example and somebody maybe they had you know 16 single family homes that they were in the process of flipping well that was a a recipe for disaster even though it was across a bunch of different properties they were just so over, over leveraged, over committed in well,
0: in completely the that same cycle. risk
1: In the same risk, exactly. So now, if pitfall two being ignoring liquidity needs, well, look what so liquidity it carries with it its own risks, right? Because someone might hear what you just said and say, well, man, Christian, I don't want to just have a bunch of cash just sitting there, not doing anything for me either. So, of course, it's a balance, but that's the whole point of diversification is good news go out and invest and have liquidity.
0: I have a solution. Instead of leaving it in cash, you put it in the investment optimizer so it's being optimized when it's in the investment, when we have it in our deals. But we also have some optimization taking place even when it's not. And you say this all the time, you don't have to feel the same kind of stress and pressure, anxiety over getting your, your capital deployed if it's at least producing a return that's you know outpacing inflation yep. as an example. So, anyway, that's a good solution for. It. So, again, don't ignore liquidity needs. I also would say that you don't want to carry a massive amount of cash at the bank because there's other types of risks that I- exist there, like interest rate risk, right? Yeah. Those kinds of th- different elements, uh, I'm trying to think inflation risk. Like those are things that that are important to be considering as well. Um, and yet there's really you know a simple way to overcome that. The investment optimizer is the easiest way because it keeps everything liquid, and um, of course creates a you know reasonably good return. Uh, okay, anything else on liquidity, Rod? Nope, I think I'm good. Okay, we're moving into pitfall number three: chasing past performance. And this one, the one that I think about, at, at, this could be. We really hit on these. The bit your own business is a mm-hmm. is a huge one, right? We don't think about that as chasing past performance, but th- that's really what's happening, right? Or, yeah. okay, not always. It could be that we're chasing any performance and we just put, pump money into it. Yeah. But for a successful business owner, it's really easy to look at your business and say, "This has been like the majority of the wealth that I've created," and and I would have to go out and get. A hundred percent returns in order to mm-hmm. do something similar to what I've been able to do by pumping money or by by building the business, right? Yep. yep, Now a couple of things. One is as the business businesses get bigger, it becomes obviously more difficult to create as significant of returns. Um but oh I lost it, Rod. I lost my train of thought. The balance where was I at? I can't remember. Um, I lost it. Where are we at? Okay.
1: Chasing past performance. So one of the things that becomes a problem on this past performance, ch- chasing past performance, is there's a learning curve in any of the investing that we do. So someone, again, they, they pick a starting point, they pick whatever uh, car wash, and they learn about it, they become educated, they, they now are out investing, they become successful investor on it, They've gone past that learning curve, it's easy to, to stick in that one category because it's what you now know. And same thing on the business owner, right? They they've figured out how to run a successful business. Why would I go do something else if this is what I've learned? And and the answer is that it's it's risky to stay and only do that. So um, so not being afraid to go out and face the learning curve for investing in other things because it builds this diversification.
0: Well, okay. So what I was going to add on before was that this is the same problem that we dealt with, again, going back to the financial crisis, the real estate world, the business world. Like there's, there's got to be discipline and a longer term view. Because mm-hmm. if not, to your point, it becomes really easy to invest in What we know now. Here's the thing, though, Rod. You don't have to like, like. Okay, so let's say that you let's say that you start as an out as an investor, and you decide to flip a house. You've got your you know your normal job, and you decide to flip a house on the side. Well, a lot of people will become good at that, and they'll make a business of it, Mm -hmm. right? And so here's what I want to be what I want to clarify. What we're not suggesting is that you can't find a bread and butter strategy that you learn really well, that works for you, that becomes a business model really. But, but what we are suggesting is that beyond that, then if that becomes, so if that single family flip, if flipping suddenly becomes my core revenue generator, my core wealth generator, now I have to take money from the revenue that's being built there and, and find other places to put it. And again, the obvious reason is that if, if I don't do that and things suddenly aren't going well with that, well, it's going to affect everything. It's just so much harder to do. It's easy to say. It's actually like very clear. I I don't think I've met many people who are like, no, there's no value in diversification. But what I have met is a ton of people who don't actually do it in any real meaningful way.
1: Yeah. Cause when it comes to each individual decision, using your example, they're flipping houses and they have a payout and they have that next chunk of cash. They just naturally are moving into the next property instead of carving some of that off. So they have to, I use the word discipline, they have to create a plan to carve money off of it and put it in other places and be disciplined enough to, to do that.
0: Okay, Rod, we're moving into pitfall number four. Lack of proper due diligence. We talk about this probably in every episode, right? We remind people that this is a critical and important element. How does it relate to diversification? Part of
1: it's probably that kind of learning curve thing, right? You 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 have what you're comfortable with, what you know. And so it's easy to just keep doing that because you know how to do proper due diligence in when you're picking the property or when when whatever, when you're continuing to build your business. Um And I think the other thing that it does is one of the dangers, uh, that we see is when people decide that there's one asset class that is the best. And then the second, like most natural decision after that is therefore that's the only place I'm ever going to invest. Right. (laughs) So, um, having put the due diligence in and being convinced that this is this is a, a good place to invest and investing in it and seeing success can put you in a place where you forget that there was a starting point for that there can be
0: a starting point for something else Roger, so are you suggesting that people shouldn't do too much due diligence we don't want them to get over too it uh, in one asset class not necessarily saying that uh, as much as I know. I'm just kidding.
1: I didn't think. Well, know. part of it is, um, it's like you. Know, you think about the athletic teams, a sports team that uh, you. The phrase they become,
0: is. Oh, sorry. For, forget you.
1: what got you there, right? So a team yeah. that saw some success and they forget that it's the whatever. It's the basics, going doing the regular practice. You know, staying passionate, you know, all that kind of thing that got them there, and so they stopped doing those things and then they don't see the same level of success. Same same team, same reason that they should should continue to succeed, but they don't because they, they forget where they came from. And I think on this one, it, mm-hmm. it can be the same thing. You get so comfortable with an individual uh, asset class and or provider and or system, and you forget or you don't continue to pay close enough attention to those things that made you successful to begin with and and made it something that you that you were able to become comfortable with.
0: Yeah, it's a good thought. So like it, it just becomes important to push yourself outside of something because, again, you had to do that. You had to get outside of yourself in order to learn that system. Yep. And but but it can be easy to be like, OK, I found something. I'm going to go yep. to it. Um, so fight the urge to do that. And yet, I also like the message that you can't do due diligence today and expect that that now will carry you through for the next 20 years. Like, Oh, I learned, you know, X, Y, Z asset class. I learned about that. Therefore I don't have to continue to learn about it because I already know the basics right. Like there is an element to keeping up and making sure that you're, um, Seeing what's happening because there's always changes, right? There's always yep. and, and opportunities coming about, and you know, market cycles and all that kind of thing. So, Absolutely. due diligence is a never ending um, or an ongoing uh, effort that we have to continually put in if we want to continue to have success. Okay, Rod, pitfall number five neglecting diversification across asset types.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think we've been hitting on this a little bit. um, And so maybe we don't need to go too crazy with it. However.
0: I don't know, Rod, if we've hit it that directly. Well, I think you should like just pound it.
1: Okay. So initially we talked about um, a single asset as our first pitfall, right? But that's an, an asset, which obviously has an asset type. So you're only in one asset and one asset type. And then we've been talking about as you build that out, then move into other asset types uh, because you wanna diversify the risk, the risk profile of of each asset class. And what's funny on this one is that we see, I I talked a minute ago where where we see people who, who say, hey, this is the best asset class. And so that's the only one that I want and we've seen this, right? So we have a we had a client who uh, would would call us from time to time and and have different ideas. Uh, he would say, "Hey, I just did a lot of study on gold, and I'm convinced that that's the best place that I can have my money. Therefore, I want to move all of my money into gold." And we'd have to have this conversation about, "Okay, well, that that's great. You know, move some money into gold. Just be careful." Not to move everything right and and then he would learn about something else and and uh, so it's it I think it's a natural line of thinking. We just have to be
0: very careful with it. I think it's really typical for both alternative and traditional sides to think that they're well diversified and actually not be yeah that's a great point right so again we talk about asset types like that could mean hard assets and so like like we're not so strong in the in the alternative space that we're like no there's no place for anything in the stock bond mutual fund like i've i've been open about the fact that i own some of those things mm-hmm. i even have a deferred comp now i don't, I don't contribute to it but but still like it's a tax deferred basically you know version of a qualified plan mm-hmm. um and and so like there's real value in those different types of things and so it i think it's unwise to get into the mindset of hey, this type of asset, again, not just this specific investment, but even this type of asset. So it might be real estate as an example. Mm-hmm. This is the most common one we see, right? I would say it's real estate or an individual's business. And the business side, it, it's not as like egregious because it doesn't happen as much on purpose as it just kind of starts to happen. But what I find in the real estate world is there's just like a big ego. When, when someone... Something this isn't everybody, but this is sometimes what I see someone does really well, they start to do really well, they figure they've got it all figured out, and real estate now is the only place that they would invest their money. Mm-hmm. Again, I've heard this hundreds of times, right? Yeah. yeah, and yet, and yet, uh, and and now who's to say like that that person can't end up doing well just focusing exclusively on real estate? Okay, sure. that's great, but what I'm suggesting here is that the wiser approach to that is to go away from just that. Even if that's your bread and butter, make sure that there's other types of assets that we're invested in so that when inevitably we have difficult times in the real estate space, we're in a position to weather it and comfortably come out the other side and feel good about the fact that we're primarily in real estate.
1: Yeah. And I I like the way you're going on that because there's a danger in picking the asset type having, again, so in real estate, having 20 different properties that you're in and you feel like you're diversified. And yet that, again, that risk profile is the same across them. And so interest rates go crazy and you're impacted. I'm not gonna say equally across all of them because it does help that you are in, in multiple properties. Some sure. probably fare better than others. Um, but if if they're all impacted by that same economic pressure, Then you're in a different place than you would be if you had if you had other asset types that aren't sensitive to high interest rates. For the most recent example,
0: well, and it could be it could even be like diversified in things like opportunity or or, uh, like emergency funds, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes what we'll see is people get so so have so much success in one space that they don't even hold like the proper liquidity. So like when we're talking about diversification. While it it does relate to like the the un the actual investment, it can also just relate to where I have my money so Mm -hmm. that I'm again prepared for the inevitable, you know, ebbs and flows that come with being an investor. Okay. Rod, we are now on number six. Ignoring risk tolerance. Okay. So here's what I see when I think about this idea of ignoring risk tolerance. I there is sometimes a conflict, an internal conflict that exists with people where they want potentially big returns Mm -hmm. and they want to invest in things that are like maybe more aggressive, but like there's also the other side where their stomach can't really handle it. And so there's just kind of this conflict of like, okay, how do I deal with this issue? And so oftentimes what happens is people will just kind of ignore the idea of risk tolerance at all in favor of just doing what they want in the moment, not Mm -hmm. thinking or maybe not emphasizing or focusing on how they know it will likely make them feel if, and when things don't go the way that they hope. Yeah. Right. Think about what we've even seen today. Like I would say that, that two years ago, Everybody thought multifamily real estate was going to produce 20 to 30% returns for the rest of time. Right. And, and like, we're seeing that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't actually work that way. And so if you're a person that has only been emphasize, emphasizing the exciting upside of an investment. Without at least considering how you feel on the back end, you know, the chances are you're going to end up being disappointed, frustrated, and um, potentially making bad decisions.
1: Yeah, great point. And what's interesting with that example is that it was the very thing that made multifamily real estate feel so good that drove the kind of the the downside. So in other words, rent prices were going up like crazy in, Mm -hmm. you know, post COVID world. And that was part of the bigger hole of inflation going crazy. And inflation is what caused the Fed to say, oh boy, we need to increase interest rates to slow this thing down. And then that led to the problem, right? So uh, it's, to your point, kind of ignoring that risk tolerance. And well, and and I would come at it from this angle too. Familiarity creates a problem as it relates to risk tolerance as well. And I'll give you an example. I mean, that, I think that is a good example on the multifamily or, or really any of these uh, business owner, all this kind of stuff, because that's what they're most familiar with. But I would say even with uh, a 401k, right? You show up to your job, the the HR director says, hey, do you want to participate in the 401k? And for a lot of people without asking any questions, it's yes. Yes, I do. And uh, and then, okay, pick, pick your... Your what do you want to invest in? Oh, just whatever the, uh,
0: they like the target date, fund. the target date. Kind of yeah, stuff. that's it.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to retire in 2040, pick that one and they move on. And there's just so much, uh, talk about 401ks. My dad participates in one, my best friend does my whatever. And so when it comes to, when you ask that question, you just say, yeah, let's do it. And I'm in, um, that familiarity, puts you in a place where you're not even paying attention to risk. You're not paying attention to much of anything. You're just saying, yeah, that's what I want to do because that's what everybody does.
0: That's what you do. That's what you're supposed to do. Right.
1: So be careful of that. Let's, let's understand what we're investing in not get comfortable just because, you know, my, my three best friends are comfortable with this type of investment. I need to get to a place where I'm comfortable and, understand it not just that i'm familiar with because i hear so much about it from my friends
0: uh, do you so have make sure three it, best it friends respect. rod
1: i have i don't No, i don't have three best friends
0: i only have i don't have three friends <laughs> so <laughs> I-, I was like whoa that's a good example of no i'm just kidding um kind of so my best friends are like my wife, kids, and Rod. That's my, <laughs> those are my best friends.
1: That's pretty yeah. much how my life works as well. But I just pictured it. The image in my head was the guy that's golfing with his three buddies or the, yeah, the guy yeah. bowling with his three buddies. I don't oh, know if that wow. happens either. But those were in foursomes as well. So
0: do you think like that? That's <laughs> like one? So we oftentimes think of like the the successful, you know, investors out there on the out there on the, um, golf, (laughs) the golf course on the links. Uh (laughs) So, but, but do you think that you think that that applies in bowling too? like the, you know, the guys, they, the investment bankers, they, they (laughs) finish their day at work and they're like, put on their bowling shirts and head over and boom, start,
1: Knock them down. Balls?
0: Yep, yep, talking <laughs> some trash. Okay, okay, sorry. I took us on quite the the uh, um, off-roading course there. Okay, so let's get back on track, Rod. Okay, I want to talk next about pitfall number seven, the big one, overlooking tax implications. Okay, the first thought that I have here is a lot of people if you were to go define diversification for someone and in investing mm-hmm. to the average person, now I'm not saying this is everybody, but to the average person, there would probably be no connection between taxes at all and diversification. Like the two right. wouldn't even be like inside of the realm of thought, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It would be like, oh, I think about an in investing instead of just investing in a large cap. I also have some international stocks or something mm-hmm. like you might even go like instead of stocks I go to real estate right so we yeah. might even go across asset types but very rarely are we would you hear people talking about diversification across tax implications so talk us through some of the points that come to come to your mind when you think about this.
1: Yeah, I think it's huge, and and again, I think this falls in that category of where someone says there's one type of tax pattern, tax flow that is the best, and that's the only one I'm going to use. So a Roth could be an example. Roth
0: IRA's, that's it, that's it. Roth IRA
1: till I die, or or really any kind of like tax free.
0: Roth IRAs are good, by the way, or like Roth IRA has some real value. Yeah, I agree.
1: And so what? Here's an interesting. Case study to think about. <clears throat> so, if you retire and every dollar that you have comes out tax free, have you optimized your taxes? And most people would say, well, tax free sounds pretty good, Rod. So, I'm going to go with yes. However,
0: it depends, is what I would say. It,
1: well, it does depend. And well, think about this. So, when you file taxes, you can choose to itemize your deductions or just take the standard the standardized deduction right well if you're in retirement and you all your money's coming tax-free but you could have had whatever it's going to be at that point in time 20 dollars coming out from a taxable place but it fits within the standardized deduction and so you don't have to pay tax on it anyway well maybe there could be some wisdom to that right So again, I'm oversimplifying it right, Um, to make a point, but but the point is that if you think it through and you look at all the kind of the taxation of the different things, different places you can invest and include that as part of the decision-making, the risk profile, all all the different things we've been talking about here uh, as part of diversification, then you can actually put yourself in a pretty cool place to where when you get to retirement, you're taking income or can take income from these different places Well, you can be very strategic in the way that you do that. I take X amount from the tax-free place. I take X amount from the taxable place. I take X amount from the tax uh optimizer, tax benefited place. And, and now you can truly optimize your tax situation.
0: So the place I oftentimes think about this is like the, the, the place that, People would go that advisors would go is to retirement income, right? Mm-hmm. Because now you're starting to say, okay, we've whatever we've done, we have to live with those tax implications. Yeah. So, what you're saying is, um, you have to think about those elements on the front end in order to have it play out in an opportune way and an optimized way on the back end. So Again, if everything so, so like, I, again, if you think about Roths uh, as just an example, if there is ways that I could have created, well, let's just say that because I love Roth IRAs, and again, I do, like, I mm-hmm. think they're really great, but let's just say because I do that, I'm going to be hyper focused on getting that. But, but that might mean that in order to do that, I have to be more, I don't know if refined is the right way. That's, that sounds too. It, I have to be more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm put in a box in terms of what I can actually invest in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So when that situation happens, I'm like, I'm being, I'm putting pressure on myself. So one of the things that we often talk about is, is the difference between between tax deferral and tax savings. Yeah. So if I'm somebody, even if I'm somebody that, that says, hey, I believe in tax diversification, I wanna make sure that when I'm retired, I have money that's coming in that's non-taxable. Um, I, I'm i okay having some taxable money as long as it's you know within reason and not pushing all of my other money, like my taxes up in other places. But in order to do that, I'm going to put some money in a 401k, I'm going to put some money in a Roth IRA, and now I've got this tax diversification. What we're suggesting is is that there's a step beyond that um, where you can add additional elements of of tax diversification above and beyond just those kind of two that most people... It's usually either I'm bringing money out taxable or tax free, Mm -hmm. but there is a myriad of ways to get there. And there's a whole bunch of different tax savings checkpoints along the way that I can get. And of course we emphasize alternative investing because that's where we're able to get the majority of our like real tax savings opportunities. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Tax implications are important. Make sure that you're um, diversified across. Not just the investment, but across the tax implication. Okay, neglecting rebalancing, Rod. So we hit on this briefly, and I'm just so I'm just going to kind of rebalancing is just just means that I take my investment returns and and I move them across. Usually, it's the original asset allocation. So it yeah. looks like this: I go if it, let's just say I'm using a 401k or whatever. I go into there, I choose my asset allocation. It could be that it's some sort of uh, you know 70-30 portfolio of, of um fixed income versus stocks. And when I say that, I'm obviously folk I'm talking about mutual funds, but rebalancing just means that when I create the return, instead of letting all of that return stay inside of the the investment that created it, it now means that I take that return and I diversify it across all of the other investments that I had in that account. Yep. That's normally what rebalancing looks like. And that is absolutely important, right? Because to yep. your point, to our point before, if you get overly invested in one place, we've talked about the, the problems that can come with that. Um, but I would also suggest, again, going into this, you know, trying to make sure that we're playing in both the traditional and alternative realms, it's also important that we're rebalancing, even if we're in the alternative space, Mm -hmm. right? It becomes a little trickier to do if it's a real estate deal, but I can do it. All I have to say is, Hey, this is how much money I have in this type. Again, it could be single family. It could be multifamily. Um, and there are sub segments of what that could look like, right? But it might just be that, okay, I've got so much money in multifamily. I really believe in it. It's a great place to invest. But I also know that wise investing tells me that I should also go put something in some other place, right? Yeah. And of course, that could be, you know, a 100 different opportunities. But the point, I guess, is just to say, rebalancing, regardless of whether, well, I shouldn't even say regard, rebalancing should be both across the the, the investments in a single account which is the way that people typically think about it, mm-hmm. but more broadly, it should be across your overall portfolio.
1: Yeah, and can I say this? Rebalancing is one of the most difficult things to do because you're looking at it and you're saying, well, this segment
0: has been doing so well. Why would I want and this to this didn't move? do well. Right. And so you're literally like having to take it from the good and put it into the quote unquote bad.
1: Yep. But the reason is the the one segment has been hot and may stay hot, but may not. It may, it may, you know, go into the, the downside of the, the roller coaster, but while the other one is going to be on its way up and because you don't know that because you were very thoughtful in when, when you picked your original allocation to be, to get back to that place and doesn't mean you have to always go back to where you were before, but. Rebalancing just implies that you're being thoughtful and intentional to pick that whatever percentages you want in the different places so that you stay disciplined with it, stay diversified.
0: Rod, I have a part B okay, of this pitfall, and th- this is just as egregious, Rod, and the part B is neglecting. Now I've lost how I want to say it. Let's call it this. Thoughtless rebalancing is the pitfall. Okay. Okay. So so here's what oftentimes happens. We're told to rebalance and therefore we just say, okay, this did well. We don't need to look at things again. We just thoughtlessly rebalance it across the Mm -hmm. existing portfolio of percentages that I have listed out. Yeah. Can I just tell you that I think that all investments should be thoughtful? Is that crazy to say?
1: I do not think that's
0: crazy to say. Okay, but too often it's not. So yep. what what oftentimes happens is is it just gets automatically um rebalanced across those like pre pre-specified things. And you could, you know, it could have been that just by doing an overlook and seeing that Hey, you know, I kind of have a feel for what's happening over here. This Mm -hmm. may not be what I thought it was at the time. Maybe my risk tolerance has changed in this way. Like, I guess, again, my point is you don't want to neglect rebalancing, but you don't also, you also don't want to just thoughtlessly rebalance because people tell you that you should. I would suggest that it makes sense to take a few minutes and actually review things and rebalance based on where you're at at the time. Okay. Agreed. Okay, Rod, we're almost there. Number nine, inadequate monitoring. Talk about why this is important uh, as it relates to diversification.
1: Well, I think it's a great uh, continuation from what your, your previous thought. And that is, we can. it's easy to get into a rut to feel like, hey, I, I figured it out. I already figured it out before. I don't need to continue continually be staying on top of it. And that would be a grave mistake.
0: Because be a mistake.
1: things change. Uh and and they even evolve, right? So for example, uh short-term rentals weren't a thing or a, a very largely thought of thing, you know, 15, 20 years ago like they are today. And so if if you don't, if you're not looking up every once in a while to see what opportunities are out there, and you're in the real estate space and you don't look to see, oh, hey, look, here's another additional class that I wasn't considering when I when I set my original lay out, you know, whatever it was 10, 15 years ago, uh, then, then you're missing out on opportunities and, and I mean, I think it's fair to say the stuff that's hot, that was hot 10 or 15 years ago, isn't necessarily the stuff that's hot now.
0: So you want to monitor not only your, your investments, but you also want to monitor the landscape, Yep. right? The landscape of investing in general and what opportunities are there, so I think that's a really good point. And Rod, one of the other pitfalls of inadequate monitoring brings us into pitfall number 10, which is that it can lead to potentially excessive fees and costs, yep. right? So it's, well, okay, in the traditional space, and this is probably less on the alternative side, but still exists, there are there are advisors teams like organizations whose entire play is you're likely paying too much cost or your your fees are too high the mm-hmm. cost is too high therefore what right therefore we have a, we can come up with a better solution so what i would suggest here is that by not monitoring i could find myself in a situation and a re- again the reason that people make an entire business model out of that is because we're all like human nature sets in we tend to just like review things once like we say inadequate monitoring is a problem mm-hmm. and suddenly i find myself paying far more than i need to and one of the things that people don't realize is the actual drag that excessive fees and costs can have on the investment now yeah. i want to be really clear i am not i'm not like that that like Hey, I'm trying to nickel and dime somebody who's providing me value. I don't believe in that at all. In fact, I'm happy to pay a fee or a cost for something that's valuable to me. And so I don't want to like confuse those two elements. And yet, we want to be smart enough to not find ourselves just paying too much because we didn't monitor things or uh, you know, make sure we were on top of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I would say that this also maybe kind of calls back on on the conversation about uh lack of due diligence. If we get so comfortable with with whatever that's happening and as we roll into new deals, we just assume that the fee structure is the same as it was before, we're not looking at those things, then that obviously causes problems and so or can cause problems because in each deal every time you sign a contract, they're going to define how that all works. And if I'm not staying up on it and understanding what it's doing then at the very least I'm paying more than I think I am. And that didn't because that, that wasn't part of my decision-making when I was deciding to invest there.
0: Mm. Okay. Rod, quick, quick review of our 10 pitfalls. Pitfall number one over concentration in a single asset. Number two, ignoring liquidity needs, three chasing past performance, four, Lack of proper due diligence. Number five, neglecting diversification specifically across asset types. Six, ignoring risk tolerance. Seven, overlooking tax implications. Eight, neglecting rebalancing. Nine, inadequate monitoring. And number ten, excessive fees and costs. Are there any uh, points that you'd like to make before we call it for today?
1: Man, I think I hit on stuff while we were going, uh, and and this I think this has been fun and and you know, it's a reminder. It's one thing to think about as you're out there making cool things happen.
0: Um, we just want to make sure that you are thinking about it. Okay, Rod. So here's a thought for you and for our listeners. If you're going to invest, right, make sure you invest with benefits. And if you're going to do that properly, you have to avoid the diversification danger zone. I love it. All right. It's been fun. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week.